On today's episode, I'll be chatting with Sari Turin-Zeiger. Sari is an acupuncturist specializing in gynecology, obstetrics, and reproductive medicine. In this episode, you will find out what kinds of challenges Sari can help people with, why scientific research is so important to inform the working practice, and how it supports reproductive health, including secondary subfertility or infertility. We spoke about secondary infertility and how sometimes this receives less attention and those who are experiencing it tend to feel marginalized. Sari is a great person to know for your entire parenting journey, from conception and preconception to postpartum and menopause and beyond, and that is exactly why she is a guest on today's podcast episode. Let's get started with this deep dive into acupuncture. Welcome to the Birthing in Finland podcast, brought to you by the Nest Doulas. I'm Danielle Bensky, a mother and postpartum doula specializing in maternal well-being and psychology. Each episode, you'll hear eye-opening interviews with some amazing people who support families in Finland just like yours. We'll help you navigate what it means to birth in Finland, growing your confidence on your parenting journey. Thank you for spending time with me today. Now let's jump into our daily dose of birthing in Finland. Hi everyone, welcome back to our podcast. Today I am really excited to welcome Sari. Hello. Hi, <laughs> hi Danielle. Thank you so much for having me and thank you so much for making this amazing uh, podcast for women available. Thank you for this this compliment. It's been such a great journey. I'm so happy to have to have started and I'm happy to have you. It was really great to receive this recommendation about you to have you on the on the show. So I'm happy about that. I'm sorry if you could hear any background noise. I don't know if you could, but somebody just drilled <laughs> at the upstairs apartment. I couldn't hear it. <laughs> you couldn't good. <laughs> and here they are drilling again. Oh, good God. I can't hear that they, at all. They don't know that I'm having a podcast in It's my like... house. <laughs> I have a studio here. Come on. <laughs> okay. Let's see how, how that sounds. So I would love for you to introduce yourself to our listeners in case somebody doesn't know who you are. Just a little bit of background. So we get, you know, this is you're a credible source and a credible person to be on our show. Tell us, tell us who you are and, and what you do. Okay, yes, thank you. So I'm an acupuncturist. I focus on obstetrics, reproductive medicine and gynecology. So I treat women. I um, did my acupuncture education and clinical trainings in Vancouver in Canada. And then I moved to Germany to study and pass my board exams. And then I did my research uh, master's in UK. And really at the Right now, I'm I'm in Finland working mm-hmm. at the Eira Hospital in the very much integrative uh, healthcare setting. So that's who I am. Okay, that's lovely. So you've been traveling around a little bit and had a little bit of experience from from here and there. A and little now, bit, yeah. Wound out back in Finland. <laughs> yes, a little bit. Yes. Eighteen years ago, I moved out, moved away from Finland, and now for the past two years, I've been trying to integrate back to the Finnish society. It's not always easy. No, 
<laughs> no, you're like here nor there. Like, am I from here or not? Is it really my home or not? But I can relate to these challenges. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, thank you for this introduction. Just to put you, you know, in people's minds, like, okay, who, who, who are you? So that's a good start. And today we're going to focus our episode on acupuncture for gestational migraines as well as secondary infertility, which are two challenges that are quite different but can be both uh, treated with, with acupuncture. But before we go into those, I would love for you to give people a more general view of acupuncture and obstetrics. What are some things that you see patients for and what are people coming to you with in a more broader, broader sense? I'm seeing a lot of patients and a lot of women for a variety of reasons. Often uh, women coming in for gynecological reasons. Something that I see commonly is menstruation related issues. You would have, you know, a painful period. You would uh, have prolonged pleadings. This is something very common. It tends to be quite challenging to treat with, uh, pharma with pharmaceuticals. Obviously, then towards the end of the menstrual life, uh, you would have the menopausal issues. So that's, that tends to be a lot what I see for gynecological uh, patients. Regarding reproductive health, uh, this is becoming increasingly big topic among the population, among women. So I only treat the female party of the pair who is, who is looking for help for their reproductive health. Often women come and see me when they've been trying to conceive naturally for a few months and nothing has happened. The pregnancy hasn't started for a reason or non-known reason. So we start enhancing the woman's natural health. But also I often then send them to different checkups, uh, to the reproductive clinics uh, to see perhaps there would be something that they could help the woman with. Obviously, I see a lot of women going through IVF, IUIs, ICSIs, and then the treatment protocols would be according to what the clinic is doing along with their treatments. So the treatment treatment protocols would vary quite a bit depending on what type of help the woman needs. And we would always make a very uh, personalized treatment protocols for this woman in my practice. And then obviously like the obstetrical patients, there is very many different reasons why women would need to come and see me. Commonly early on in the pregnancy, it may be fatigue, nausea, <laughs> this kind of uh, mm. symptoms that women are kind of struggling a little bit. Then, you know, just overall the well-being of the woman. Pregnancy can be incredibly taxing for the mind and the body. So, you know, this is also a big population who I see in the practice. Towards the end of the pregnancy, women often come and see me for labor preparation. So when they want to start preparing um, for the upcoming labor, whatever that may be. And then obviously when the due date is, is coming closer, we can start inducing the labor. So my work is very, there's, there's a 
many things we can do with acupuncture. And I see very, very many different types of, uh, you know, disorders and, and ailments and sometimes just, you know, boosting the overall health. Mm. That's also fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds really diverse indeed. Yes. Um, I mean, within this specific niche, of course, but even within this specific niche, there is a lot. And you were, when we were preparing, I asked you also about babies and you're like, nope, that's a whole different thing. <laughs> that's <laughs> a different just, ball game. <laughs> fair enough, because I mean, just within this, there is, there's a lot to do. Yes. So thank you for clarifying on how, um, yeah, on, on exactly this, what, what you do and how you support families in a more general way and mothers and women specifically uh, to, to be on this journey. And perhaps you can share with us a little more about your love of science, because when we prepared <laughs> for this episode, I asked you kind of, what is the thing you want to touch on and how should we focus our episode? And we talked about the research and the science that goes on around acupuncture. Why do you love science and research so much? Well, I, I think that it would be safe to say that I have this love-hate relationship with science and research. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's complicated. However, I'm in a practice of medicine where we need to make very much evidence-informed decisions uh, on a daily basis. We need, to, we need to know how to read research. We need to know what's effective treatments, how to construct effective treatments, and how to treat women safely. So especially when we are dealing with women who want to get pregnant, who are already pregnant, we really need to know what is safe and how to deliver safe treatments for these for these uh, persons. So since 2018, I've been very closely involved with acupuncture research through my studies and my work. That's when I started doing my master's uh, on research. And since then, that has been <laughs> in my life every day. I'm also a part of the uh, research task force uh, with the European Traditional Chinese Medicine Association, where we're doing a lot of educating the public, but also, you know, other, other acupuncturists and healthcare practitioners. And lastly, I am uh, responsible for the research topic and aspect in the Finnish uh, Acupuncture Association, Finnaku. So I think that this is, this is, um, <laughs> I'm very involved because I am very yeah. interested. However, the love so and hate is sometimes there. <laughs> more than just the, you know, interest, you really, I hear you, you have some in, like influential positions mm. um, where you, you are part of. So that's that's interesting to know. So yeah. you really also have dipped your fingers into places that are making decisions about this and and influencing how this is happening in Finland and in, in Europe as well, perhaps. Yeah, I think it's very uh, contemporary topic and it's it's a very important topic for acupuncturists, for for the public, and also for the healthcare policymakers. Um, yeah, absolutely, and I, I would say that not just you know for acupuncture evidence-based decisions around medicine yes. is really important. And some will be surprised that there are decisions being made 
in the floor of some hospitals that are not evidence-based always. And that's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, it's if a... we look at birthing birthing things, and because it takes time, it takes time. Maybe you know more than I do, but I have heard like seven years, the number, for research finding to be found until it is rolled out to practice. So this is a whole other topic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is Whether, the uh, uh, forever discussion about like what's what's research, what's good research, what's good enough research and like how to implement research. There is yeah. so so much more to it than just uh, looking at a topic and writing a paper about it. So For sure. For it's, sure. It's an, so I I really appreciate this because I we always also myself and the doulas of the nest we talk about evidence-based decision-making and evidence-based practice and bringing evidence-based information to clients so that they can then decide what they want for themselves and their body and their birth and their baby. Yes. So I think that's that's kind of the line we are as well. Yeah. So you have done some research yourself. as You just mentioned your master's degree. I would love to hear more about that. This was about the gestational migraines, right? Yes. So... I did a research uh, paper on um, gestational migraines. This was a secondary research, a systematized review where I looked at the efficacy and safety of acupuncture when treating pregnant women suffering from concurrent migraines. And what I did was I first went to medical databases and I started to look for different studies, uh, different papers, different trials for acupuncture treating gestational migraines. What I very quickly noticed was that there was a huge lack of good research papers looking at specifically pregnant women suffering from migraines. And this is not uncommon. So this happens throughout the medical field uh, that pregnant women tend to be, there, there tends to be a lack of representation of pregnant women mm-hmm. in, in, in clinical trials. And there is a good reason for that. Uh, the reason is often safety. Mm. However, this was obviously also very apparent in the field of acupuncture. So, however, I did find a paper, a primary paper that looked at acupuncture treating gestational migraines. It was a very small paper. However, it was a European paper. And, you know, that gives us some information already. However, like the paper found some really good results for acupuncture. Um, They reported that these women who came throughout their first trimesters, really suffering from migraines, the pain intensity went down significantly. Mm -hmm. And also the frequency of these um, migraine episodes went down. That's basically what you want. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is what often commonly the aim of the treatment is to decrease the symptoms and prolong, you know, the episodes the frequency of of, uh, episodes. So that was very, very encouraging. 
However, I wasn't quite happy with that one small study mm. that I found because uh, uh, stat statistically it didn't carry this like a very rigorous significance <laughs> because of the because study. Because you know research and because this is not good enough for research. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Unfortunately, so I actually just went ahead and I looked at other papers as well. Yeah. And I looked at papers on acupuncture treating migraines on general populations and we have absolutely amazing rigorous evidence stating that acupuncture is effective in treating migraine in general population on acute treatment uh, and acute attacks as well as uh, preventative I also did take a look at different types of uh, secondary papers who looked at specifically gestational migraines, putting together different evidence for migraines and headaches in pregnancy. And there is some good uh, solid evidence there as well. So my conclusion for that was that we have good preliminary data showing that acupuncture may be effective. However, we need some more evidence. Then as my second outcome was looking at the acupuncture safety, so the treatment safety. As I said, when during treatments, we need to be sure that we are giving out effective and especially safe treatments. Uh, safety is the number one aspect of the treatment. So what I went I went ahead, I looked at databases again, and I did some literature searches, and I actually found a lot of good, large-scale, rigorous studies looking at obstetrical acupuncture safety. And what I found was that the side effects that we get are very transient. They are very mild. Uh, the most common would be bruising. It is a needle therapy, so bruising, fatigue. These would be the most common ones. Yeah. There was no reports on anything more severe, which I thought it was incredibly encouraging. Hmm. So basically that part of my, of my study was very, very good. And uh, there we go off to a primary study on <laughs> cessational migraines. <laughs> and then did you then carry out your own research with, with, with patients? After you found this kind of base that there was a need and that there's there is a need to for find, sure to find a good results. Uh, there is for sure there is a need for primary, a larger scale, of rigorous uh, study, and I think that uh, we should uh, definitely be the ones in Finland taking the catch and and starting to do a research on this topic. <laughs> yes, but it still hasn't been done. It has not been done yet. And something like that, uh, it's going to take some time and preparation. So just to clarify again, the master's project or master, I suppose it was the thesis, then that was the research, um, how would you call it? Like sifting through the research, that was the main purpose of, of the thesis? Or was there an actual experiment kind of done for the thesis? No, that was a secondary study. Can you clarify what that means? Oh, sorry. So the secondary study, it's it's basically, I'm looking at the already existing literature. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's that called? Like a meta-analysis? It's a review. 
it's a literature review. review. So it's literature a systematized, review. yeah, it's a systematized review where I uh, systematically looked at already available literature and right, right, right. analyzed. Now it makes more yes, sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. Okay, I understand. I was imagining like an experiment with findings and stuff. But so the yeah. findings is what you explain now because it was a literature review, and now I have it clear, and I hope that everybody else does too. <laughs> sorry. No, it's totally fine. Um, okay, that that's cool. So, so we know that there is a there is a real need, and that it is can be very effective indeed for people who are not pregnant to treat migraines. And also in that one study which you did find, but it was not really significant or, or big enough to rely on. You you also saw significant results within that paper that it is effective for treating pregnant people who have gestational migraines. Yes. And you mentioned that it is quite a common condition or, or situation, even though I have heard some people who suffer from migraines in their life say that pregnancy was the only time that they didn't. Yes. So it actually seems like pregnancy tends to really be the time when women who previously has been suffering from migraines would actually stop having those episodes mm. and then perhaps the episodes would come back you know after the pregnancy or after lactation however there is a big group of women who still continue uh, suffering from migraines and it can be migraines with or without aura um and it tends to be a very uh, unfortunate situation because a lot of the pregnant women, expecting women, they do not want to take a lot of different pain medications or different medications in general. So it it, it is a tricky situation because obviously mm -hmm. migraine during pregnancy can also be a risk factor for other health conditions. So mm -hmm. it's 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 very it's very important to get the diagnosis early on. It to start to start the treatment early on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Really interesting. So that kind of brings us maybe to the next topic that we wanted to cover. And this was secondary infertility. I mentioned this a little bit in the beginning, but I would love for you to explain what secondary infertility means and how it differs from other kinds of infertility. <laughs> yeah. So we can, we can talk about infertility in general. Secondary infertility is something that commonly is left a little bit on the sidelines simply because these women tend to already have a child. They've had a pregnancy before and which then was carried through. So often these women tend to report that they are not taken so seriously. They, their desire to have the baby is maybe marginalized a little bit in comparison to primary infertility, which means that you have haven't had a child yet. Again, there is a lot of research being done about uh, treating infertility with acupuncture. And actually from 2006, uh, there was a German study that actually really launched this field for acupuncture and acupuncture research. So we know that with acupuncture, we can optimize the well-being of the body, you know, Basically, it's just promote the homeostasis. Uh, and, and that's the very good base for, for the treatment. Regarding if we are talking about the woman coming in for, you know, starting a treatment for infertility, we would first of all look at 
what's causing it? What's mm-hmm. the cause? Uh, is there something um, pathological? It tends to be often be um, endometriosis, uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome, um, just naming the few. Yes. Oftentimes we don't even know why the woman is not getting pregnant. You know, we all the labs are coming back picture perfect. There's nothing seen on the ultrasound. You know, everything looks nice. Everything looks everything is where they supposed is supposed to be and for some reason the pregnancy just doesn't start. Obviously then we we just need to focus on what we know so we know that there is not diagnosed uh, specific reason and you know sometimes we have really endometriosis cases there's there's women with a lot of fibromas or my myomas in, in the uterus and this is then potentially a cause that may really hinder the pregnancy as in it continuing so these are definitely things that we need to first know in case the woman has been trying for for some time. And I absolutely encourage all the women who've been trying to conceive without success to go and actually just get tested, just to go and see their gynecologists or obstetricians, you know, and just talk and to see what's possible. So having having labs done, that's important because it actually gives me also a lot of information regarding our treatment principles. So obviously fertility, there's also this aspect of uh, women getting older when wanting to get a family, you know. This is something that women are often waiting for later part of their 30s which is absolutely fine you know like of course you need to mm-hmm. do and live and you know like enjoy your life and and that's fine obviously that however creates these certain aspects and potential conflicts regarding the biology and and, and prospect of pregnancy so mm-hmm. We, we should, in that case, start looking at like the ovarian reserve, uh, the egg quality. And this is definitely something that the fertility clinics would very quickly start looking at. And then, of course, there is this uh, secondary uh, infertility ladies yeah. who come in who already have this one child at home. And yes. for some reason, it's just not happening the second time. And quite often these women are actually reporting that the first time, um, you know, the pregnancy started really quickly. It started very easily. Uh, there was no problems. And now that they expect that the second pregnancy starts so quickly as well, similarly going well, nothing's happening. Yeah. And as I said, that these women tend to be very misrepresented in in the fertility groups, you know, because they already have that lucky situation to have a child yeah yeah when we spoke about having this conversation in our on this episode today yeah I thought this would be a really important topic because I feel it is indeed under like talked about underrepresented Mm -hmm. uh, exactly because of this reason especially as a mother who already has a child Mm. it's like oh well, this is just an extra. You don't have to have this one because you already have one. You've mm-hmm. already be- become a mother as you wanted to become. And mm-hmm. here there are maybe people who are suffering more. If you can even compare <laughs> um, because they don't have any children at all. So mm. 
I wanted to give a moment to acknowledge also the parents and mothers who who wanted more than one child and are struggling there. Hmm. Do you want to say also something about the differences, like what kind of challenges that are different? I think when we were preparing, you mentioned that it's interesting to look at the person who is trying for a second pregnancy but cannot because we know that they did have one successful pregnancy. So, yeah, I'll let you speak about that. (laughs) (laughs) No, it absolutely gives us a very... Uh, vital information that at some point this woman has been already pregnant. That's not always the case, so it it is important to know that. Um, Obviously, we need to look if it's the same partner still, how did the pregnancy start the first time, uh, was there any complications? So what happened between the pregnancy coming to an end and you wanting to have a new child? Was there some sort of a trauma perhaps during the birth or after the birth? Uh, was there a lot of blood loss? How are your labs right now? What's your what's your iron levels? What's your you know vitamin D levels? What's happening in your body in general? I just got an aha moment. <laughs> oh, yeah. Check your labs. <laughs> it could be. No, it could be that by being a mother and being so tired and exhausted from motherhood and being depleted and some women are going into having another child less than two years even before the like since their last birth that they're just running on empty Hmm. and that's maybe one of the reasons that their body doesn't stick with the next pregnancy could well be like when you're looking at the human body a bit more holistically of course it's it's you need to charge your batteries you need to charge your phone you need to charge your own body. So this is absolutely something, you know, like uh, when you are not getting enough sleep, you're not getting enough nutrients, your body is run down because the lack of vitamins. Uh, Does the know. research mention which age the older child is? If nope. it is within the, ne- the first two years or after? Well, yeah, there is some studies uh, saying that it's it's a it's a good idea to wait for a bit <laughs> after the first pregnancy, and I think that obviously there is this uh, physiological aspect that you need time to recover and recoup from the first pregnancy, labor, and having a small baby, but also you know the <laughs> the mental aspect, you know, like oh, yeah, you, sure. especially if you're a first time mom, it's you're also being born. It's not just the baby who's born, but it's also the mom, the new mom who's born. So, you know, this is also, it should be acknowledged that becoming a mom, psychologically, it's a huge change for the woman. Mm. And, you know, having another person to care and love for, um, who you basically, you know, sacrifice your time for, it's, it's it's a big thing. So I think there's there's it's a very multifocal factor the secondary yes infertility or subfertility um there's it's it's not at all least Im- less like least important or less important than primary sure. um infertility or subfertility yeah. Do you look at all at the fears and emotional barriers that may be to infertility Absolutely. And I, this is actually something that I commonly see at the clinic. Um, women who've had 
really complicated pregnancies or they they've been super sick you know like they've they've been really nauseous the first time they've uh, had crazy migraines this actually data shows us that these kind of experiences really impact our ability to form you know these these experiences really Im- impact our family planning mm-hmm. so if these experiences impact our, you know, thinking to a pro- to an extent that where we're starting to rethink about having new pregnancies, it means that there's a lot of stress in our bodies, you know. And of course, sure, fear, trauma, if it's physiological or or psychological, it does uh, absolutely have an impact on our bodies as well. It elevates our body's cortisol levels. Uh, and when we know that the body's stress is high, our bodies are just not functioning as they should. Women's menstrual cycles get all irregular. They may start experiencing more menstrual-related pains, PMS symptoms. So it'll definitely have an impact on how we get pregnant as well mm-hmm. and how mm-hmm. the pregnancy is going. Yeah, I appreciate this holistic look because... A lot of these things that we try to compartmentalize and mm-hmm. just feel like, okay, there's the problem with with this section of your body right here, so we're going to tackle this section right here. While especially with pregnancy, birth, and, and postpartum, and all this journey of parenting, it is absolutely a holistic, one-unit uh, approach. And I, I think that this is really, really great about acupuncture, that you do look at it from this perspective. Yeah, I think it's it's a fine line that, you know, you need to look at the science and then you need to look at the person. And often we know that in research, uh, unless you have very small uh, studies, the individual is not necessarily greatly represented in these big, huge trials. So it is important to look at the person and look at the woman in front of you and really listen really listen to the to the woman mm. their experiences back then and now yeah yeah absolutely regarding the treatment of secondary and a primary infertility what is the difference from the perspective of acupuncture yeah well the actual treatment mechanisms they would be very similar because we are looking at the physiology of of the female body and the reproductive uh, abilities Absolutely, with the secondary infertility or subfertility, we would focus a lot more on the past trauma, you know, how the woman's feeling about having a child again, how the woman, what kind of relationship the woman has to the child that they already have at home. So this would be something that is absolutely a big difference between between uh, the primary and secondary subfertility women. Yeah, yeah, right. And if you can help us understand a little bit like what is happening actually in the body and from a biology perspective that could support the secondary infertility, why could acupuncture be effective here? So, like I said, from a biological and physiological uh, point of view, the treatments would be very similar. So, what happens when the woman comes in for a treatment, we would immediately start looking at why the pregnancy hasn't started. So, 
there is a number of reasons why the woman hasn't uh, fallen pregnant spontaneously. So after trying at home with their partner, um, sometimes it can be, you know, that the woman's just not ovulating. The cycle is very regular, which means that it's difficult to spot the time when the ovulation occurs. Um, then obviously there is the equality um, questions. There is a question about the endometrium, so the uterine lining, the how the woman's uh, immune system is. So depending on what's happening, what kind of information we have from the etiology of the subfertility, we would always then personalize the mm -hmm. treatment principle. However, we do know that when we put a point, an acupuncture needle in the body, it does stimulate certain uh, related acupuncture points in the body and we know that you know certain bodies for example in your legs in your feet in your belly they do stimulate our so-called hypothalamic pituitary ovary and axis in our brain which is responsible for reproductive system levels in the whole body so as in hormones um, yeah. that's definitely something what we want to have an impact especially if there is something happening with progesterone, yes. uh, if there's something happening with uh, ovulation, let's say. We also know that when we put points in locally, we can stimulate local and systemic uh, circulation. This means that when we get more oxygen in the body, we get more nutrients in the body. Mm. We re get rid of a lot of toxins, which means that the tissue in itself is healthier. This is really important for us when we're thinking about egg quality. Mm -hmm. We may not be able to, you know, produce way more eggs or follicles. However, we can influence the ovaries and the primordial follicles that's already in it. Mm. So this means in general that we can actually impact the egg quality. This also means that you know, looking at the endometrium, more circulation there is. It is assumed that the uterine lining does get more moist, more more thicker, you know, it's just more lush. So, you know, the fertilized egg is it's easier for it, you know, to, to embed in it, yeah. Yeah, in the lining. It's a more inviting space. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. We also yeah. obviously look at the immune system because like that's something, especially if the woman is going through IVF uh, yeah. or ICSI, you know, sometimes the immune system is is just going on an overdrive and that may not be the best um, and the optimal uh, situation for, for the implementation. So... There's, there's a lot we can do. And obviously, always the stress and the emotional stability is, is part of the treatment. Because we know that uh, infertility, subfertility, if it's primary or secondary, it is most of the time very, very stressful. So Absolutely. we need to take this into consideration. And actually, there's a really nice study that just came out looking at how women going through IVF uh, benefited from acupuncture when looking at the anxiety levels. So there's mm. very good data on that as well. Mm. 
Yeah, that that's definitely part of the process, right? The disappointment, the frustration, um, the anxiety, sadness. Yeah. Around it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. And grief. And absolutely. I was just about to say that. Yeah, that it's not always just. Uh, getting nervous about the upcoming transfers or, or, you know, expecting to get your menses, but it's always, uh, you know, grief and disappointment is, is there as well. So we need to look at those as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I suppose it's also beautiful if indeed the family and the woman are getting supported by a team of practitioners, like, for example, the fertility clinic, for example, you as an acupuncturist, for example, a psychologist, for example, you know, these different team members who can support really the person on that journey because it's so multifaceted. Yes. In in Canada, like I love the expression, you know, like I'm not actually sure if it's Canadian or a U.S. term, but, you know, they commonly say that it makes takes a village to make a baby. And it's so true, you know, like you don't need to go through this uh, journey on your own and it's not, there's help available and it's not wrong to, you know, like use many different services, you know, if you get to better end results quicker and easier, because we really need to look at the body holistically. We're not machines, you know, and our menstrual cycles are not working as machines, so We really need to keep that in mind. Absolutely. I want to just mention that we had an episode with Carmen Lorenzana about menstrual awareness at the beginning of the of the episode. So if people want to go and take a look at the beginning of the podcast, sorry, if people (laughs) want to go and take a look at that, then that's also related to this topic of menstruation and stuff. It's a fantastic topic. Yeah, (laughs) it is. Now you've said this about the village and I had another little moment to myself where I was just thinking, it just takes a village, like full stop. Yep. Yeah. I've heard, now Now I've heard from you, it takes a village to make a baby. I've heard it takes a village to raise a child. I've heard it takes a village to raise a mother. Yeah. Yes. It just, I've heard it all. It's just, it just takes a village and we live so isolatedly. I, it, it hurts my heart how isolated we live. And I'm trying so hard to find village in my my life. And I'm also exploring other forms of living and trying to find, you know, what is good for me? What is good for us? And But even if you think about it, like the apartment buildings that we have here, if you want to live in the center of the city, you don't have options because the apartment buildings are built in a certain way with these new apartments being built that each room is so tiny. Anyway. Yeah, I think that this is probably something that's really for international women coming to Finland, coming to Helsinki. This is this is really something that a lot of women are struggling with to find mm-hmm. the support. Uh, you know, not not financial support, but the actual support uh, yeah. that you can rely on. Emotional. Yeah. Support. Yes, absolutely, and. There is information available, but that's why this uh, podcast is so amazing, you know, that women can actually just really concretely see and hear what all is available, what's possible, because mm-hmm. this kind of information is just not handed out very easily no. here in Finland and it somehow doesn't seem like it's part of the Finnish culture to openly share information so um it's it's this kind of stuff is good it's good stuff yeah, yeah. 
Thank you. No, I, I realized that as well. And I, I mean, podcasts were really part of my growing and learning journey that I was really fascinated, exactly as you said, by the kind of information I could find through the podcasts that were just not really available anywhere else. Exactly this. Yeah. So, so I really yeah. appreciate this, this comment. Yes. From you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think Finland may be a bit uh, coming behind, but we're coming. <laughs> we're coming. We're coming. <laughs> are there any other messages you want to share with people who are new to acupuncture before we wrap up our episode today? Yeah. So um, acupuncture is basically, it fits for all. There's not uh, very many conditions that would be red flags. Um, it is incredibly important that um, women do find a properly educated um, acupuncturist for themselves. Not everybody who is, you know, saying that they do acupuncture, they are, they are not acupuncturists necessarily. So it's very important that women do their homework properly. Um, there is never a wrong time to start a treatment. However, sooner you start, better it is. Quicker we get to the better results. So that's that's uh, that's I think very important for women to know. And there was a fantastic study done on pregnant women at the NHS uh, in UK, 2020, where they were looking at. Um, normalizing birth with acupuncture and they actually found out that the women who had used acupuncture their births were uh, somehow a bit quicker the women needed a little bit less medical interventions and in the end of the birth experience labor experience basically 100% of the women reported that they would want to have acupuncture service uh, again during their mm. birth so you know like this is a big shout out for for OBGYN acupuncturists and that they are needed so you know is there something like that here Midwives who are giving acupuncture? I'm not sure what type of education the midwives are getting here regarding acupuncture. At least in Denmark, it was 12 hours, which I personally find little, little. Obviously, everybody needs to stay within their own scope and uh, scope of practice. So finding an OBGYN acupuncturist who has had at least that uh, three and a half uh, year education plus specializations, I would always recommend. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there's a lot of midwives, there's a lot of nurses doing acupuncture, but I would always recommend people to check the credentials and, and you know, the education because it may not always be quite so, it may not be very much education mm -hmm. that women are Yeah, these are yeah. There, these there are some topics like, for example, homeopathy. Let's just—it's a completely different thing. But with homeopathy, you cannot really do harm. With acupuncture, if you are not really, if you don't really know what you are doing, can you do harm? So I think that you know, like each and every treatment method that you use, you can cause harm. We just then need to, you know, kind of coin what's harm, what's the side effect, what's the very good effect. point. <laughs> So, you know, like with acupuncture, as I said earlier, regarding the pregnancy, obstetrical acupuncture safety and acupuncture safety in general, there's a lot of data, there's a lot of good research demonstrating that acupuncture is incredibly safe. However, 
as I said, you can do harm with anything. And acupuncture is very invasive uh, treatment modality, which means that we are putting uh, needles in the body. So the trick is not to poke somebody with needles. Anybody can do that. But the trick really is to know where to put what type of needles, how to stimulate these needles to actually get the effect. Mm -hmm. So the most common adverse effects, adverse effects are basically um, events that take place after or during the treatment that were kind of not intended. So the most common adverse effects caused by acupuncture is really bruising and uh, headaches, fatigue. And so these are very, very mild. They go and they pass quickly. However, there are then also some very severe events such as like pneumothorax where, you know, you would puncture somebody's lungs and these do, these events take place um, and they do happen. So that's why it's incredibly important to know that your acupuncturist is actually an acupuncturist and, mm-hmm. and not just somebody putting needles on you because mm-hmm. um, that's, that's not the point of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you for clarifying. (laughs) (laughs) And and as you mentioned, like it it is nice for the birth, but maybe to consider like who is exactly the one putting it on you. And if there is a midwife who has specialization in acupuncture, then get curious and ask her before you decide. And then again, it is your decision. You can, of course, accept it. Um, But absolutely, absolutely your decision. Absolutely. You know, like if somebody tells you that – I read a book and I can do a labor induction treatment on you. Uh, please say no. I, I quite often actually see these women who've been getting acupuncture and they, the person who was giving this uh, needling treatment, they started to induce the labor on uh, week 39 when there is no signs of any kind of readiness for labor and that's actually that doesn't that does do more harm than than good you know like you need to really prep the body and you need to take the time because it like literally is the woman's own body who is which is making all the changes so these are then unfortunate events that take place when these therapists or whoever is doing and giving these kind of treatments they they just may not be quite as specialized Mm. as they could right Mm. I was going to ask as well for usual or like in the majority of cases can I I would say is it a session uh, a series of sessions that people come to or is it like a one-off thing what's usually more effective so uh that's a good question when you have somebody who is coming in for excessive menstrual bleeding, it's probably going to take few cycles to menstrual cycles to start seeing efficacy. The same thing for reproductive health. So depending on what brings the woman in. When we are looking at uh, women who are coming in for labor preparation, I would always recommend them to start between 36, 37 weeks, and it's going to be weekly treatments until the labor. Sometimes women call me going like, oh my God, my labor induction is tomorrow. Can you do anything? Or, you know, that's... uh, 
I'm just like week 40 and my baby just turned, you know, on preach. Can you do something? You know, like these are the situations that we're just gonna give one or two treatments and that's kind of yeah, like what the we more have acute. time for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it really depends on on the woman who comes in. Like we're always making very personalized treatments right. and treatment plans. So it really depends on what brings yeah. you in. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. it's in line with everything you've been saying until now. Yes. So <laughs> it's very holistic. It's it's yeah. you know, but it's the same thing with antibiotics. You know, like you shouldn't just take one pill and expect that everything is is uh, perfectly fine it usually is a course of treatment so our body is just the clock and calendar works a bit differently oh yeah that was brought many years after humans were created <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> however that may have happened yeah. <laughs> um how can people get a moment with you <laughs> well um you know, people who are in Helsinki who live close by, they should just um, come by. And that's the easiest way to see how I can help them. What can we do? What kind of treatment plans we're going to make? So I work at the Era Hospital in Helsinki. It's a beautiful building. So it's a <laughs> pleasure to just come by. And if women are living somewhere else, they can absolutely call me they find my details on the on the era hospital website and i can also give phone consultations and really if women have any kind of questions i'm more than happy to share resources to share research uh, give my expert opinion on who would be maybe a good acupuncturist for them specifically so i am ready to be used uh in, in <laughs> for my expertise for sure that's great. And so all of those things can be from the Eran Hospital, Eran Saira uh, website. Yeah. Which, yeah. which I will then link and add to the show notes so people can easily find you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's a, there is also a little bit of more detailed information about me. So it's, it's, uh, that's great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. Is there anything else you want to add before we close off? No, I, I really, I am so happy to be part of this this podcast for international women. I personally really identify myself with you guys. So you know, like, I'm really happy to be part of this. So thank you right. so much for having me and sorry mm. for my scientific rambles. <laughs> we need people like this. Don't oh. apologize. <laughs> you do great work and I really appreciate it. I appreciate your time and your willingness to share with our listeners and yeah. yeah, thank you for, for being here. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Thank you for having me. And uh, thank you for the person who suggested that I should come. Yes. And that's very nice. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yes. Bye. So that was my conversation with Sari Turin Zeiger. I hope this episode opened your mind to the possibilities of acupuncture and that you now know that this is also one of, the, one of the tools that you can have in your backpack to support your parenting journey. And that Sari is right here in Helsinki, waiting to meet you and help you in any of the things we spoke about on this episode. Thank you for being here and for listening to the Birthing in Finland podcast. I look forward to having you here next time. See you then.
Thank you for tuning in to the Birthing in Finland podcast. To get the show notes for this episode, go to doulacollective.fi forward slash birthing in Finland. If you enjoyed the episode, go ahead and share this with someone who you think needs to hear it. A friend, a colleague, a neighbor. Help us get the word out so that more families can start enjoying these conversations. See you next time when I introduce you to another amazing person supporting families just like yours. Thank you.